Welcome to episode 26 of the What's Up podcast presented by Old Reheat Astro. Today's the 20th of June, 2018. So last time, the first thing we mentioned was the Tim Peak capsule that was at the National Museum of Scotland. Oh, yes. We were going to go see it. We were going to do the VR thing. And we got about half of that done. Well, uh, in hindsight, it was probably my fault for having gone, ooh, VR, and then uh, showing up and realizing you should have booked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or at least... Saturday morning when it's full of kids probably wasn't our best plan. Um, <laughs> no, it was very noisy. I, I tend not to do well with VR. I'm one of those travel sick types who for about a minute is like, this is really hard. <laughs> and that's the end of me. But the capsule looked the capsule amazing. Cool. So that it was looked very black. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to touch it and I was a bit sad that it was too far away with a sign that, that says do not. That might be deliberate. Potentially so. I think my favourite thing about it was the little sign. Did I point this out to you while we were there? There's like where the parachute pops out of Tim Peake's thing. There's a little sign and in Russian uh, and in English it says man inside please help. <laughs> uh, so I with, think... with then instructions underneath it of how to find like the, the can opener on the underside of the thing to yeah. pull it out and like wind back part of the capsule. To pull them out it's like I, I i think they were worried that just in case it lands in the wrong part of the planet by accident then you you might have a farmer who comes upon this thing and the astronaut might be asleep or unconscious in sight so this is to, to let them out but I yeah, hope, interesting uh, hopefully thing. speaks russian or english <laughs> yeah. and i also hope they edit it when it's not just men or has about to say that this is not very gender if that was set way back in the the mission description then yeah but yeah, it was cool. It's nice to see the hardware and it looks real. I mean, it was messy as hell and, you know, bits mm-hmm. hanging off it and everything. Yeah. But I, I, I was really excited. I know it's silly, but inside the capsule, they still had all the sort of things which were there clearly during landing, including like a little row of manuals on its little shelf, which mm-hmm. were sort of taped in to sort of, not taped, like tied down to hold them in place. And all the kind of just little things, which clearly are all have to be within, I'm waving my arms around, in arm reach so you can grab them as you're coming in. But it's just... It made it very real somehow. Yeah. Um, you kind of imagine people inside that yeah. thing hurtling towards Earth suddenly sits quite at home with. Yes. And they had to have them like pulling out a little manual at some point and go, oh, quick, what? Uh, uh, page 47, right? Yes, press that button. <laughs> I'm, um, sli- I'm slightly sad that, great. you know, if you go to the Museum of Flight, you can get into cockpits of some of these things. And I'm a little mm. bit sad nobody's made a mock up of just how small mm. this thing is because it's one of those things where you really do need to be inside the bubble to go, oh, yeah. I would, I would struggle to be here for That's, a day. That sounds like a craft and, project. Right. But it get is a it. two-person job to get someone in and out, though. Like you have to be like handled in and out by people. Well, now that I know you so. need a can opener if you land in the, <laughs> the Kazakhstan <laughs> desert or something, then yeah, it's, it, it sounds like hard work. I don't think my paper mache skills will allow us to do it. It'd be so much fun. Old <laughs> Astro does fake Soyuz. <laughs> <laughs> then we can throw you off a bridge or something. No, no, no. <laughs> You've taken that too far. <laughs> okay, so with the apologies and updates done, uh, we're going to go back on to our sort of normal news topics that have caught our eye we want to cover a bit more information on. So we've got a few other things to cover today. The first thing is a little bit of local news, uh, which relates to nanosat- uh, to CubeSats, small satellites. We then got a bit more information on CubeSats that are much less local than those ones. And then finally, we're going to move on to what was a really big headline in the news about the Martian surface and stuff found on Mars. The first thing we're going to cover is the, the place where we're sitting today, and that's why the audio quality might be a little bit questionable. There's a lot of echo in this room because we are sat inside the glass cylindrical room atop the Higgs Centre for Innovation, which is a new building here at the Royal Observatory. I am, I am currently looking at a painting of the man himself hanging in the corner, which is kind of cool. <laughs> I don't know who painted it, though, so it's <laughs> some relation of his, I think. Oh, his, really? His... Oh, wow. Daughter in law, it's cool. He looks like dapper. It looks like he's yeah. standing outside, you know, uh, number he, 10. He, no, he is standing outside James Clark Maxwell's house. Isn't that cool? It's a good, like, little sort of nod to the Edinburgh 
intelligentsia. And for those that aren't sitting in the room with us, who is this person we're talking about? Higgs. Peter Higgs. There's a painting of Peter Higgs in the Higgs building, obviously, as you'd expect. Um, it's the closest thing to a connection to the Higgs that we have with the building, thing is he wasn't an astronomer. He, he, he's the guy that's got his name on that particle that, that, that is quite important and is exactly where people were expecting it to be. Um, and Higgs was the person who'd sort of predicted its existence. It's now been confirmed. It's, it's roughly where people were thinking it might, which is good and bad, depending on whether or not you want to break all the physics. Um, but that's a huge deal. And he's now a Nobel Prize laureate. He which is. is and, quite sexy. He's a very, I think he's a very sort of um, quiet, modest chap. Um, who who wrote this paper a long, long time ago and has sort of had fame thrust upon him by the fact that they built a whopping great big particle accelerator. I, I think he's like he's a little bit like my favourite Edinburgh celebrity to spot because you just see him <laughs> yeah. on the bus on Princess Street or whatever. Well, you know? well it's almost worth pointing out that this, this picture, I think, is deliberately playing on that, that he's standing there in his fleece holding a newspaper. And it's just very sort of relaxed. This is not Peter sitting on a throne. throne. Um, this is Peter just... I haven't gone shopping. Are you sure paper. it's a paper and not a bag of chips? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, but because of his uh, Nobel Prize, and I suppose the fact that actually the work he's doing, you know, the work the part the, uh, the Higgs boson is so uh, such fundamental physics that it, it kind of is where particle physics and astronomy are overlapping. Uh, you're getting to that kind of fundamental kind of questions about dark energy, dark matter, the kind of you know. Trying to, we need particle physics to understand astronomy now, which is extraordinary, really, when you consider they're on such different scales. Um, so actually having a building named after a particle physicist at the observatory isn't quite as daft as it initially sounds. I so, did not say it sounded daft. Oh, no, I did. I said it was daft <laughs> earlier on. <laughs> I'm you're, just retracting your other statement. Yeah. <laughs> Still a little daft. Well, I mean, to give a bit more information about the building itself, I managed to sit down with Ruri Henderson, uh, who's involved with the building. So I'm going to drop that interview now, and then we can go on to the extra stories after that. So yeah, I'm joined now by Ruri Henderson. So Ruri, what is it you do here at the ATC? Well, Martin, uh, my role here is Business Incubation and Innovation Manager at the new Higgs Centre for Innovation. Um, and there's a lot of variety involved in the role. Um, primarily, it's business development. Um, so identifying uh, new businesses that may look to be incubated here at the centre. Um, and in some cases, nurturing them through the application process. Um, it then comes round to a more of a facilitating role, um, which is uh, setting up the business support required by the incubatees, as we call them, um, setting up the, the workshops, um, introducing them to mentors for one-to-one for -one counselling, um, arranging networking events, and you know, potentially introducing them to investors uh, when, they, when they reach that stage. Um, and of course, making sure that's all conducted in a, in a safe environment. That sounds really good. So quite a varied job as well then. Yeah, lots, lots of uh, variety. Um, I mean, what I get excited about is taking new products and services to market. Um, and that invariably includes sort of discerning, discerning market research, sensing, proposition, product development, um, establishing the right market fit, customer engagement acquisition and market entry strategy, um, and then re raising the required finance for growth. Um, so this job affords me all of that, um, but with up to 12 different businesses. So yeah, lots of variety and lots of challenges there. Yeah. You may have already covered this in part, but what is the Higgs Centre for Innovation? What is its purpose then? Okay, well, the, the Higgs Centre for Innovation uh, includes a new business-focused facility um, specifically for supporting startups and SMEs 
working in the space and data intensive sectors. Um, obviously, it's based up here at the Royal Observatory um, and run by the STFC in partnership with the University of Edinburgh. Uh, and it's a UK government facility supporting commercial growth regionally and across the UK. Um, alongside academia, it will house the Business Incubation Centre, which we abbreviate to BIC, uh, and a suite of dedicated facilities helping remove the barriers to growth for companies in space and big data. Um, the BIC is also part of the European Space Agency uh, BIC and the CERN BIC and the UK Space Agency BIC Networks. And the facilities, which are also open to uh, commercial businesses and SMEs, um, include a suite of dedicated micro and nano satellite test equipment and purpose built clean rooms, um, as well as the big data support capabilities, um, such as the big data visualization suite that we have downstairs on the ground floor. Oh, great. That's, that's really uh, quite a lot there, obviously. Um, yeah. And anyone who's playing along with buzzword bingo at home has definitely managed to hit at least a couple of rows now. Excellent. <laughs> Checking all those. Always aim to please. Why is the centre located here? Well, the STFC and the University of Edinburgh have long and proven histories of commercialising science and technology and creating viable businesses, um, equipping us with first-hand and in-depth knowledge of the specific support a technology business requires to, to grow. Um, so obviously, you know, you have all the technical expertise up here um, on the top of Blackford Hill, and we really want it to be a sort of hive of open collaboration where we can capitalise on those expertise um, and move them into a more commercial sense where hopefully they can provide societal, economic um, or environmental benefit to, to the world as a whole. So what kind of things does the Higgs Centre offer to, let's say, an ambitious startup company that's coming in? Well, um, firstly, uh, cold hard cash, which... Uh, <laughs> startups, One of the most important things. <laughs> absolutely. Um, startups are invariably hungry for. Um, we also give you the opportunity to access the expertise of world-leading scientists and engineers. Um, so you may just have an idea, uh, but you don't have the technical um, knowledge to, to progress that idea um, and you know you could definitely do that here on site. Um, conducting research and development is costly for startups. Um, they frequently lack the, the financial resources to invest in laboratory space and high specification analytical equipment um, and we give them affordable access to state-of-the-art um, equipment. Um, they'll also get ongoing and complementary business support from experienced business advisors, so people that have been through the mill um, and potentially exited their, their own startup. Um, they'll get the opportunity to join the extensive network of scientists, engineers, universities and, and businesses um, associated with STFC and the university. And they'll get access to the skills through the University of Edinburgh's Studentships Programme. Um, so something that we're, we're doing here, which is Fairly new, I believe, is um, PhDs can actually get their industry experience working with um, one of the incubatees, so the startup businesses within the Higgs Centre, um, and that can be for up to six months, uh, which is funded. Um, so, you know, that's an excellent opportunity and a, and a mutually beneficial relationship, we hope. Yeah. You sort of mentioned the different sectors these companies are coming from. I know you've just finished a round of selecting companies, and while I won't ask for any of their names or anything like that, what kind of companies are you sort of going to be hosting here in the near future? Um, well, 
hopefully a huge variety. Um, we've had a, a round now of applications which we've been through. So yes, I can't mention any names, but um, suffice to say that they're uh, upstream and downstream space, so data analytics, um, and also hardware and software businesses as well. So yeah, the, there's, there's quite a, a wide variety there. Okay, that sounds like a really big range. I think that also means that my chances of getting a new office in the shiny building is, is out. I suppose that depends who you speak to, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and that wouldn't be me. Okay, okay. I'll try someone else. Then. I'll, just, I'll see. These, these are like nice, it's a really nice new building, really light and airy and you know, nice new offices. And I'm sitting there looking at mine thinking, I could be nicer. Could like, <laughs> a nice view over the hills would be really good around about now. Well, this is it. And I suppose something I, I neglected to mention is it is you know, a world-renowned prestigious address. Um, and here we are up in the rooftop which will be the rooftop cafe with almost 360 panoramic views. Um, that's another reason to locate it up here. And I ask is Ali's got a whole number of slightly ludicrous ideas, I say slightly very ludicrous ideas, that relate to sort of CubeSats and nanosatellite technologies. If he wanted to form a company and sort of get involved with the centre here, how would he go about doing so? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, and, you know, there may be uh, lots of people out there that might just have an idea um, or, or maybe they're a little bit further down the line. But um, the first port of call, I would say, would be definitely to um, contact myself um, and come and speak to me. Uh, I have an office on the incubation floor and the door is always open. Um, and we, that, that would be the best starting point simply because there is some eligibility criteria that needs to be fulfilled. Um, the application process is fairly comprehensive and, and that's deliberate. Um, so I would hate for someone to go off down that route, um, you know, without first um, coming to me to ensure that they will be eligible and compliant. Um, once we've had that initial discussion, uh, they would then go off and fill out the, the application forms, which include a business plan, um, an incubation proposal, and a, 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 sorry, a work package plan. Um, basically costing out the work that they want to conduct here. Um, and we, we provide funding of up to £41,500, um, which they can, they can use for those work packages. The next stage would be the application would go to the pre-selection panel, which hopefully it would pass, given our initial discussions. Um, and then the, the final stage of the process is you, there would be a pitch to the selection board um, which is made up of a variety of members from the various agencies. Um, that's about a 10, 20 minute pitch maximum. And then there's about half an hour of Q&A. After that, there will be a decision made. Um, and that's normally fairly quick. You should hopefully know within, within a week um, if you've been successful or not. Okay, well, thanks very much. Hopefully there's uh, either Ali comes in and speaks to you. You did sort of say, you know, they had to be good ideas and fair comprehension. Yeah, I didn't bank on it, but you know, he, <laughs> yeah. maybe he can try and convince you. If anyone else is listening as well, then that's really good to know that there's, there's options out there for encouraging companies. Absolutely, yeah. I, I may, Ali, I know I may come and find you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me today. That was really great to hear all that. Great, thank you very much for having me along, Martin. That's good, all right. So thanks again to Ruri for covering that interview with us, giving us lots of information about this exciting new building on site and all the opportunities it's going to give in. 
can we just say it's very shiny it's a very it's a, shiny it's building. a beautiful building and, and where we're sitting now you have this wonderful view out towards the pentlands um it's really very good i mean obviously it's not open to the public so you can't come and see it but but we've got a nice view so uh, you can see it if you're walking your dog though you like lots of people yeah we're walking, we're, like, the, we're the building ruining the view yeah yeah uh, you can see from the outside don't bring your dog into the into the rooftop please in my office i have a very proud view of a wall uh, so yeah i think the people that have the window offices on this oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's 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 the dream yeah, really nice. that's the dream. Uh, I also mentioned an interview to Ruri about uh, how Ali could apply to have his CubeSat company ideas brought forward uh, to delivery in the Higgs Centre. <laughs> Do you want to tell everyone what these ideas were? Uh, well, because we, we joked about this last month and I was like, I have to come up with a CubeSat idea. So I started off with an iron brew delivery system. So just to be clear, orbitally dropping... <laughs> Well, brew on demand. having run the numbers, I've decided that was maybe not much of a go. But now I've decided, um, and I might have stolen this. I think I read a press release that said somebody was thinking about doing this, but they never, I don't know if it was a CubeSat thing or not. But I would like for very rich people to be able to order their own bespoke meteor shower for their like birthday party stuff. So you fill a CubeSat with ball bearings of various metals. You load it all up shotgun style. And then you pick uh, the exact moment to shoot your shotgun of BB pellet towards the earth and have it re-enter the atmosphere roughly where your person's having their birthday party. And you could, you could use different metal pellets to give you different colors and stuff. I'm not spelling names or anything. That's going to be real tricky. But I just love that idea that why the heck not? I mean, it would, you know, it's low earth orbit. Everything should burn up eventually anyway. But it would be a lot of fun to see if you could make that work. And I, I haven't come up with a good name for what you'd call it. I won't, I won't call it a, no, I won't. <laughs> I was going to call it a ball bag, but then realized it's, it's not a bag, it's a cube, so it has to be a ball cube, you, and you, it, it's not the you same. You can edit that out, can't you? Yeah. I might have to. Okay, well, you can listen back to the interview, and you can go and see Ruri about how to push these ideas forward if he thinks they're um, a gore. I'm sensing say. it's going to be an uphill struggle. I think, I think it might. Um, the first thing might be to rethink your strategy. Name for so sticking with the CubeSat story, I thought I'd bring up something that I noticed uh, the other day in the news, which is talking about the Marco CubeSats. So these are two CubeSats that have launched alongside the InSight rover, which is on its way to Mars now, run by NASA. Um, and these are a really interesting sort of add-on to the mission. So they're in no way mission critical, but they're being used as a demonstrator of a cheap way to help along a main satellite, a main space mission. So CubeSats, to be clear, are small satellites. A 1U CubeSat is 10 centimeters cubed. Uh, these are a little bigger. These are 6U CubeSats, so they are 20 centimeters by 30 centimeters by 10 centimeters. So six cubes in a single layer sort of glued Like together. a briefcase. Like a briefcase. Okay. Um, yeah. And it just means you can do <laughs> more in it. it. Yeah. Have there been many cube, actual CubeSats? Or is it, are they always like 3Us and 6Us? There has been some 1U CubeSats, okay. yes. right. Um, but what you can do in a 1U is limited, as you'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the projects that I've worked on with CubeSats, generally 1U worth is just your satellite. Yeah. So like your satellite bus, your power, your propulsion, your... But that's kind of part of the idea as well. It's like they're sort of a little bit modular. That You, you have that U, you stick on another U, which does your science, another yeah. one which does your yeah. solar panel or what. Yeah. And even inside your single U, you basically have these like flat PCB cards that you slot in. So if you want power, you put in a power card with batteries. Yeah. If you want um, transmission back to Earth, you put in a radio card and you kind of get these off the shelf components. It's really cheap to do. Mm. And if you can piggyback on a bigger launch like InSight, then it's really cheap to launch them as well. Yeah. And is, that, it, is it still safe to say these are the first two deep space CubeSat 
They're NASA's um, first two deep space You mean sets. there might be other I, I couldn't find any, but okay. I, when the read the press release, they were quite careful to say NASA's first deep space CubeSats. I don't know if somebody else has maybe done something. These are certainly the first ones that are doing this job and are sort of being used on a big mission like this. Mm, okay. So that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. So the job they're doing, it's not mission critical. That's the first thing to make clear mm. here. This is a technology demonstration. But the reason they're being sent along is that when InSight is on its way down to the Martian surface, it's in its landing mode, it doesn't have a line of sight to send signals back to Earth. Um, and That's just geometry. just doesn't, yeah. 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 yeah, it's hard to see the Earth from Mars when you're at the orbits and angles and all that kind right. of stuff. So, um, what it's going to do, what, so the nominal sort of mission plan would be to use the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is one of the orbiters around Mars, bounce the signal up to that, and then that would send it back to Earth. Fine, hunky dory. The only problem is the communication with the rover and the communication with Earth is on two different radio bands, and MRO has to swap between them. It can't do both simultaneously. So, you're going to have to like, listen to the rover, get a signal. Turn one radio off, turn the next radio on, send the information back to Earth, wait for a response, send it to the rover. You know, it's a faff. The two CubeSats that are going along with InSight, they can do this simultaneously. The idea is that they'll be mm-hmm. flying over Mars, they're going past having sort of maintaining line of sight between Earth and the rover, and then they can do the communications between the two. Nice. Are they, are they dropping into orbit or are they just kind of whizzing by? Just to fly just, by. Yeah. They're, just, they're timed to sort of pass over at the same time. Yeah. That's the important bit. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, you, you want the telemetry from the yeah. lander because you yes. get a series of pings, maybe the yep. odd um, um, oh. piece of information. Yeah, well, just to tell you that it's functioning. So there'll be yeah. a lot of sweaty PAMs in mission control waiting for a little well, ding. And The, the, the um, normal, well, normal, but when Curiosity landed, it was the whole kind of seven minutes of terror. Yeah. Um, does that alleviate this in any way or you still you still get Not really. a lack of communication seven yeah. minutes is down to the lag you yeah know, it takes seven minutes for light to get there no that's not right no might be about right actually i can't remember if the seven minutes was how long it well, took uh, its sequence to run yeah or I how long it sequence. took for the signal to travel but it was terrifying anyway so <laughs> the so this doesn't this doesn't remove that that's still there it's just it has more avenues to I think there was I that, assume so, yeah. They yeah. were it was the same thing when it touched down when the crane cut loose. I think they were seeing a little blip. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all it has time to do because it's on yeah. autopilot and it's yeah. trying not to crash. Um but you still want ground controllers to know where you are in that sort of sequence, I think is the sort of key. Yeah. But then it's a scary thing going to Mars. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that about mm-hmm. half of all missions that have ever attempted it. I've failed. It's a yeah. shocking some spectacularly, some yeah. got really close, like Beagle, and just failed because of a tiny little component. Yeah. But the it, it's a dangerous game yeah. going to Mars. Yeah. And I guess the more information you have, the more chance you have to get resumed back, the better. Yeah, and if this works true. well, then future missions could probably utilize it more. Yeah, and probably maybe it helps with diagnostics if something does go wrong as well. And yeah, yeah. Although actually, to be fair to NASA, they their record is slightly better isn't it i think it's if you include all yeah. missions to mars that you get that very low percentage nasa have actually had quite a good run recently maybe that's tempting fate but hopefully it's because they're yeah. getting good at it if it doesn't work um, it's your fault yes it's primarily <laughs> my fault <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry nasa okay so sticking a little bit with the uh space missions at the moment ali you want to talk about something else as well oh yeah it was just one of these things that pops up on the you know the calendar all of a sudden a thing that i've forgotten mm. all about is about to happen and it's the i'm going to pronounce all of these <laughs> things wrong so i'm going to try it's the hayabusa 2 spacecraft which is a variant of the hayabusa 1 spacecraft uh, but it's the japanese space agency and they are about to do another uh, asteroid intercept slash landing slash sample return mission. All of those three things Ooh. together are really epic if it's everything works. Amazing. So Hayabusa 1 did work. 
and it doesn't quite land. These probes are kind of interesting because they sort of kiss the asteroid. It's quite a small asteroid. The one that it's about to land on this time is um, called Ryugu. Um, the Hayabusa, I think, means falcon, and Ryugu is something to do with a palace in Japanese mythology, which is kind of cool. And it holds a whole bunch of fun things that I'll get to. But it doesn't actually touch down. There's no legs on it. It just has a sort of sample pod and a wee gun. And it gets the sample pod close to the surface and goes pew. Uh, and you get a little bit of crap. <clears throat> um, valuable scientific um, meteorite samples. Uh, and uh, bring back. But the, the point here being is that lots of meteorite samples on Earth, um, you can not trace it back to a guaranteed origin body in yeah. the solar system. So the samples they get from Ryugu, you know exactly where it came from. You can see the spectrum of the asteroid. You've got instruments to measure the properties of that. And you can look at the stuff in the lab, assuming the capsule comes back and, and all goes well. But it's going to be a fun mission. So the reason this has now been brought up is it's, it's suddenly sending back quite good pictures of this rock. And it's this weird diamond shape. It almost looks like a yeah. cube in the pictures. And it's, it's, it's going to be fun. Everything's slightly different when you go and visit asteroids and comets. So this one will be, I'm sure, surprising for a number of different reasons. But we're about to get to the point where the resolution is going to be really nice. Uh, there's also about... I was trying to find as much information about this as I could, but Jack's I have at least four things that will touch down that are independent of the main spacecraft itself. So Minerva is an acronym that is a bit crazy. It stood for something like Micro Nano Experimental Rover on the asteroid vehicle on that, something like that. Um, and so Minerva is going to touch down. It has its own science package. It also has four little uh, or three little hopper robots, which are kind of, they just look like little cylinders and they're going to float down land but they have little uh, flywheels in them and they can actually hop to different places on the asteroid it's got five bean bags like i don't know if these are the first space bean bags but i got excited uh, so the japanese space agency website they like they, they drop bean bags and the reason they're bean bags is so they don't bounce back off the asteroid it's about a kilometer across so very low gravity on the surface um but the bean bags have um a target grid on them so i think that's what Hayabusa is using uh, to actually automate its landing and each beanbag for each, you know, kiss of the asteroid kind of thing. It even has like a shaped projectile charge impactor thing. They're going to shoot two kilograms of copper into Ryugu and see what gets blown off. And then you can actually go and um, do a sample in the, the crater that gets left behind. So there's, there's a lot of exciting things to happen. And it's still kind of experimental. It's an improvement yeah. on the previous one, which kind of didn't work. They had a lander Minerva yeah, on that problems, one. I think that something went wrong in the original Hayabusa was actually uh, station keeping, and it was thrusting away from the asteroid at the time they released the lander. So the lander kind of went wee they, they sailed past. They did get they stuff back, didn't they? They, they, they did, did get but some it, samples. Was, it wasn't as effective as they were hoping. Right. So they very small particles. Yeah. This time they've kind of doubled down a little bit and they should get more back. Um, but it's going to be a while. We'll have to wait a few years for it to, yeah. to, to come. An awesome mission. I mean, it's it's going to be fun. fun. It's yeah. a lot in one. It's not the yeah. last asteroid mission you'll hear about. You've still no. got Osiris Rex and New Horizons doing things in the not too distant future as well. It's all part of this kind of learning more about the small stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, which is really one of the, you know, major things I think happening in solar system astronomy at the moment. I mean, okay, the, obviously we've still got so much to learn about the, the planets and Juno and things are doing yeah. awesome stuff, but this sudden, uh, you know, well, visiting asteroids. I mean, mm. it sounds, it's really it's stuff of science fiction. It's as well, though, if you can hold it in your hand and you know oh, where it came yeah. from, it's so yeah. much more valuable. It's like an archaeological find where you're connected to the whole site. 
Yeah. Um, but if you just had the artifact and nothing else, then it's much harder to tell you something about it. But this time you've you've got the whole picture. So yeah. it, it will be fun. But again, you've got to be patient and hope that many of these crazy sounding things actually work. Presumably there's a certain amount of redundancy though. That, that, you know, some of these are kind of experimental, like we'll have a go if the bouncing bobbling things on the surface don't work well you know it was fun we the tried. Fact they have, they, yeah they have a few bean bags they have a few landers a few hoppers mm. uh, and i think they have at least three um cans um to take individual samples so right. if the first kiss yeah. doesn't work they've got more chances to to seal more stuff in the container and i think yeah. they've designed the container a little bit better so they should have yeah. slightly larger sample this thing yeah. too. learning from last time yeah it's, it's gonna be fun but, yeah it's, it's an exciting time you know the, the the day when we go and you know start mining asteroids is like I know it's always in silly science fiction things, but these are critical steps along those roads. Well, this is mining an asteroid. Yeah, it is. In, very, in a very small way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so taking actually going away from the small side of uh, solar system astronomy, going back to the big ones, the discovery of organics on Mars got a whole bunch of press, including tweeted through ourselves. Yeah. William, tell us more. Well, actually, it ties in very nicely to what we've just been talking about. I mean, basically drilling into a chunk of rock and looking what's there. Um, so this is Curiosity, which landed in 2012, I think, wasn't it? Plutonium-powered laser-armed robot roving around happily on Mars. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, uh, it was during the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Right. so it's been there for oh, a long time now, relatively speaking. Um, I mean, actually not relatively speaking, by, by Mars rover <laughs> standards, actually. it's, it's yeah, Opportunities. <laughs> Oh, did opportunities did, yeah, survive? Did, I, was just <gasps> I forgot to did check. check? Oh, yeah. big st- there was a big dust storm on Mars, which has come circling around and caused many problems. Um, an opportunity had to shut down during this because it's solar powered. Curiosity will be fine because it's uh, it's got its plutonium. Um, I don't know what happened. Uh, when you when you need to go check, check. yeah. Um, I, I, I hope on, carry on. Still covered will, in okay. Ali, I'll, 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 of landers it's huge the size of a small car um and has got a whole suite of different experiments um well and one of which is a drill um and so it was drilled recently into um into a sort of a mud bed um which presumably was some bottom of an old lake or something of that kind where uh, it, it, think of a dried up riverbed um it it would look a bit like that um mudstone i think they were calling it um and it drilled it's only a few centimeters they drilled down into the surface of this thing but the thing i think is really cool is they then extract the dust which they drilled in and then they bake it in the oven which they have on curiosity up to about 800 degrees or something i mean it's it's a serious bit of a kit i mean obviously it is but it's it's quite amazing they're doing this and then when you do that you separate out the dust into into relative component parts um and some of those component parts very excitingly appear to be organic molecules um now this means kind of carbon chain molecules which would resemble the sort of stuff you might find maybe in crude oil or something like that um so very quickly to stress this is not life um this is most definitely not life we're not um, saying there's dinosaurs on mars no we're not saying dinosaurs on mars. <laughs> um and th- there's two kind of interesting sides because you could argue that potentially you could say some of these things might come from life in the same way crude oil is your compressed like you know um but it it's also yeah, I mean, that's a possibility, probably. Yeah, probably. there are other ways you can get them. There's definitely other ways to get them. But the more intriguing thing, perhaps, is the fact that we think that these sort of organic, long, long-chain long organic molecules are necessary for assembling life. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they're there suggests that some of the components which you've required to create life were are on Mars now and have existed and survived on Mars as well. They haven't, like, got, you know, they haven't got destroyed by... By the radiation levels on the Martian surface, et cetera, et cetera, they've survived on the on the planet for a long time, um, and that's 
got to be pretty exciting. Um, I mean, it's like, it's not life, but it's... It's another tally mark in the is life likely box. Exactly. You know, there are a whole range of different things which you have to um, have in order to assemble life on Earth, we think. Um, and, and you make that long list. And, and, and if the planet's got none of them, doesn't have life. If it's got all of them, then the question becomes how much is that? What's the percentage chance of the kick? And we have no idea because we've got one data point and we can we, we tell. Um, but having the ingredients is pretty damn exciting. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, I think it, it did get quite a lot of press, but I, I think, I think not, not un, unworthily. And then the kind of intriguing thing is, you know, do you find something like this on Hayabashi's, Hayabashi's, um that one? <laughs> do you find that on the asteroid it's going to visit? I mean, you probably won't. We, mm. we wouldn't expect it to. But if you did, maybe, my maybe, God, that's exciting. equipment as well. No, that's true. Well, no, if they bring it back to the lab, though, then they well, can test. Yeah. The beauty of Curiosity has got its own lab. Yeah, the lab it is wheels. amazing. I mean, it's incredible that te- all the different suite of instruments it's got on there is really wonderful. And I mean, and the intriguing thing as well with Curiosity is it's not, they very much stated it was not trying to find life. That was not its point. Yeah. Um, it was trying to. It doesn't to, really have the tools no. to convince anybody that there would be anything there. It, no, I think if you've had a, um, if, if it picked up a bit of rock which had the correct evidence for life on it, then it wouldn't have the tools to to identify that. And if yeah. it did try to claim it, people would be suspicious. It was there to try and say, firstly, did Mars have water? And I think it's absolutely conclusively nailed that, the number yeah. of different mm-hmm. rock types. And, you know, just it's drilling into a mud-based rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a river. It was water yeah. at some point to form mm-hmm. that. And probably that water had in it these organic molecules, which are now kind of settled and uh, yeah. found within the, the, the mud base. Um and, and, and things like this, would it find organic molecules that it has? Um, so, I mean, this is just really, you know, showing that Curiosity was doing awesome work. Yeah. And, you know, still Another is box ticked, basically. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I kind of, yeah. I was curious, did they, you know how we know there's organics on Comet and maybe some asteroids as well? Does that mean they could have been delivered by these objects? And that way it's not actually, you know, it hasn't... That's true. Interesting um, question. Been, Messed about with on Mars, Although what's but your then pl- yeah, what's yeah. your what's your time frame? Because maybe as long as it landed a few billion years ago, who yeah. cares? Right? I would there, also say yeah. that your chances of you know if if it has been delivered by asteroids and stuff, and it's not been created on the planet, you thought that'd be isolated spots, and the chances of you happening to hit that rock. I oh, that's an interesting question. Slip. Yeah, yeah, and I think the other thing is if if it was delivered a long time ago, then then the fact that it survived that length of time is kind of intriguing, yeah. um, because it it. Again, I say we, one of the famous equations in astronomy is well, I don't know if it counts as astronomy, but the Drake equation, yeah. um, which is about you know percentage chances of everything you need for life to occur. So it's multiplying the number of planets by the chances of them being the right place yeah, well, by the you d- start all with the basic number of stars in the galaxy. Yeah. then you have number of sun-like stars, the and chance of them of having planets around the stars, number of planets that are Earth-like, number of planets with liquid water, and number of um, you multiply uh, all those numbers together, life, and yeah. you get a chance of a planet having life which is absolutely tiny but that's that's fine because there's lots of planets um but one of those kind of parameters would be does planet have stuff on does stuff survive for a long period of time yeah such that life can have you know because if, if, if you've got stuff delivered by a comet but actually it all broke down within a relatively short space of time due to due to the conditions on the planet so only survived for a, a year well life isn't going to evolve in a year yeah. no if stuff was delivered on the planet billions of years ago and it survived that long, amazing, because that shows that it can survive. Or if the planet generated it itself through some kind of chemical 
you know geological process which i frankly don't understand at all um then then that's equally awesome because either way you've managed to result in having stuff which could be useful yeah that's that's my take on it uh, stuff I, that could I, be I'm useful sad to report by the way that the spirit and oppy uh twitter account that nasa run um hasn't posted anything for six days oh no and the last thing was a live uh, youtube thing about the storm itself and i think the storm must still be going then because yeah. i haven't seen any updates since then they are huge and aren't they the, engulf the entire planet like, the second like, last tweet is an amazing picture of the sun literally disappearing oh as far as opportunity <laughs> yeah. can tell and that's or bad news for a solar powered rover because yeah. it's not really designed to survive for long so it's gone into power saving mode only the clock is running apparently yes so it's, it's going to wake like up me every on a so morning. often and just go nope still tired nope nope Still dull, still dull, nope. Every like, X many hours, so yeah, you could, I just got to wait and see. Come on, but, but come on here. It's fair. Isn't part of the worry that it cools down too much well, and ceases yeah. to, so, to yeah. function? The battery doesn't do well in the cold, and and I you think need to have that constant. I read something as well, which was saying the battery levels were lower than the last time something like this happened. Yeah. That 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 just the 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 base battery which it was starting at was 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 not just because of the level of sun has been recently or yeah. the dust on the panels. To be fair, though, it's it the little rover that could, is it not? It was oh, supposed yeah. to last for like a hundred days, and it's ten years plus. I yeah. mean, I'm trying to that was like, like two thousand and four or something. It's it's crazy. Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, if if it took a global dust storm to finally <laughs> put opportunity it in its place, then fair <laughs> yeah. play. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe our curiosity will go over and sort of tidy it up afterwards. Yeah. Just know. dust all the. All I, I the find dust. myself really caring about this. It's just a, it's just a rover, but at the same time, I'm like, no, happy, you can do it. So I'm kind of looking forward to that tweet if it comes back online. <laughs> or Matt Damon. Or Matt Damon. Yeah, if he gets yeah. there first, then he might yeah. have a chance to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, in a month's time, we'll let you know. Hopefully, if opportunities come back on or if Matt Damon's on its way to save it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Thanks all. Bye. If you've enjoyed this banter and you want to hear more from us, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Old Ricky Astro. Links are in the show notes.